Women in soccer. Is there enough of them? The United States women's national team are the current world champions. Jill Ellis was the coach. The NWSL is flying high and a champion has just been crowned. But we still need more women in sports. Today on The Bear and the Ball, I've got one of the brightest young ladies in college soccer. Stand by. The Bear and the Ball is coming up. Nick Webster, the Vice President of Adults for the Cal South Board of Directors, and I am delighted today to welcome to the show Ali Hara of the University of California, Riverside. She is the assistant coach there. Ali, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having me. So, an assistant coach at the collegiate level, and you are very young. I'm not going to give out your age, but you're very young to be an assistant coach. Tell us, tell us a little bit about your playing journey before we get into your coaching journey. Yeah, so I played at the University of San Diego, um, and then I did a grad transfer to Utah Valley for my last year. So I was a goalkeeper. Um, actually, so I started at a D2. I started at Cal State San Marcos, uh, played one semester there. Um, I started and did really well. So then I used that to transfer to the University of San Diego, which was a D1, and then redshirted my sophomore season. And then we had a head coaching change after that. And so then my junior and senior year, I, I kind of found myself in a backup goalkeeper role, um, which obviously no one really likes to be on the bench for that long. Um, and so then I... Took, I took my redshirt year at Utah Valley and then finished there and started and kind of had the the season I wanted. It was it was definitely an interesting career because I started as a freshman and started as a fifth year and the years between were kind of up and down. But I was very thankful in the end for everything and it was it was a journey for sure. It was a journey. Well, I'm going to get you to back up a little bit. So you're a freshman in college mm -hmm. at the D2 level. Is your aspiration at that point to play at D1? And are you using D2 as a stepping stone? And if you are using it as a stepping stone, how does that kind of work? Yeah, so I played for like a smaller club team um, in Orange County for a while. And then I didn't switch until like my junior year of high school. And back then the recruiting roles were a little different. And so most of the big schools or D1 schools would commit girls as like freshmen, sophomores. Um, so I kind of missed like the big recruiting years. So I had like one D1 offer it was to Oregon State and it was just to be a preferred walk on. And that's not really what I wanted. And so then I committed to a D2 going into my senior year of high school. And I think I always kind of knew like I I wanted to play at a higher level. And so I kind of just settled for the best option I could get. And then I went in and worked really hard and kind of proved myself and, and earned a starting role and then played that season and kind of just wanted to see if I could continue to push myself to a higher level. So obviously you have an outstanding season. You're the, the starting keeper, mm -hmm. plenty of reps. You move to the D1. What is the difference? What was the first immediate difference 
you feel in in the level of playing organization um mm -hmm. just the whole package what does that look like what does that feel like yeah so i think the team that i played for at the d2 level was very direct like the style of play was very direct and even as a goalkeeper like i was discouraged to kind of play out of the back and just kind of kick the ball far and punt the ball far and i have a like a pretty long like ball strike like i can hit the ball pretty far and so that's what they wanted me to do and so the i think the biggest transition like i i switched at the semester so then i went to usd in the spring um was probably just like the speed of play was a lot faster um the technical ability of the players was a lot higher so people are able to do different things and it's more it was more of a possession style and like the individual athleticism of the players is different the the types of shots are you're facing are different like i feel like like at the D2 level, not everyone could bend a ball or ping a ball with their laces. So the shots you're facing are a lot different. But I feel like as a goalkeeper, the transition wasn't that big as if I were a field player because I didn't feel like I was technically behind as a goalkeeper. I just was facing like a higher level of opposition, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And so in terms of training, was it pretty similar or did you feel like it once again you had to you had to step up a level or two yeah i think like coming in um i was still a freshman too like i i obviously had a lot of room to grow um i think i there was a good goalkeeper coach at usd when i first got there too um so that definitely helped and then like the other goalkeepers i was competing with were good too so it just i just felt like i was in a position to grow and get better like right away so you mentioned the word competing against. So you're used to being a starter. You go to USD. All of a sudden, there's some severe competition. What's the mindset? What's the mentality? And and how are you feeling when you're not the number one? Yeah. Well, I'm just like a super, super competitive person, like by nature. And so I, I liked the competitiveness and like the the being able to just push myself and, and be with really good competition. Um, and then like coming in the Springs, uh, usually like in the spring, everyone gets to play. And, uh, it was, there was a fifth year goalkeeper or she was a senior going in her fifth year. She had shoulder surgery. So she was out. So it was me and another freshman who she just redshirted that fall. So we were the same age. Um, and we basically were just splitting time in the spring. And so then the fall wasn't really until like the competition started, but I knew ahead of time, like the coach at USD had told me that I was going to redshirt because there was a fifth year senior who was going to step into the role. And then there was a backup who had just redshirted her freshman year. So I kind of knew that that was what my season was going to look like anyways. Um, so that's like a different mindset in itself. Like you're going into a season knowing like you're most likely not going to step onto the field unless other goalkeepers get injured. Um but yeah, it was interesting because uh, the the goalkeeping situation like was a competition between those two. And then uh, the freshman, she was now sophomore, ended up beating the fifth year out, which was kind of a big deal. And then um, the freshman was kind of starting to fall off a little bit. But then the fifth year, like three, four games into the season, broke her finger in training. And so she was done for the year. She I, She fractured her finger, I'm pretty sure. So she was done. So then I went from like red shirt out of the picture to now being the backup and I was traveling and doing everything and 
kind of just was seeing, okay, if, if she gets hurt, then I'm going to step in, then I'm not going to get my redshirt year. And so then she didn't get hurt. I didn't step in. I still redshirted, but the fifth year goalkeeper wasn't able to come back until like the last game of the season. So she played the last, like she played the last two games of the season. So it was well, interesting. We have, we have a lot of parents and players that listen to this podcast and perhaps some of them are unfamiliar with the term redshirt. Can you explain what it means and, and the mindset you need to be a redshirt? Yeah. So redshirt basically means that you practice, you do everything with the team, but you don't step on the field for games. So you preserve that season of eligibility so you can use for another year. So basically you have five years to play four seasons if you redshirt. So the, I redshirted so I could keep that year so I could play an extra year, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And from my understanding of uh, being a coach at UCSB, if you if your little pinky toe steps on the field, mm-hmm. that's it. It's done. It's I'm pretty done. sure if you play like if you played like the first two games and then you didn't play after that, then you can redshirt. But it's or if you get injured, like after like I think it's like three or four games. If you get injured after that or before that, then you can redshirt. But you you can't play in like the you can play in like the first two games and then after that you you don't qualify for redshirt. What would be your advice to someone who's thinking about redshirting or a coach has said I think you should redshirt this season? Um, I would say that like usually it's because there's a plan in place and if they want you to redshirt it means maybe there's people in front of you that are older that are in the position, but they see a plan for you ahead, like in the long term, and they want you to stay and use those years. So it's not just wasted, like playing two games or playing three games and coming off for minutes at a time, like throughout the season, like they see a role for you. And so it's not always a negative thing. It's, it's negative in the aspect that you're not going to travel and you're not going to play for a season, but it's positive And like you get a season to develop and get better without wasting time on the field that you'll get back another year. So I'm assuming you had a chat with the head coach at USD about your redshirt plan. So your third season, technically your second season, Mm -hmm. how did that go? Well, so after that fall, he, my coach at USD got fired. And so then they brought in a new head coach. Um, So then we played in the spring um, and kind of split time again. And then the fall came and she decided to, because that goalkeeper kind of played majority of the season in the fall before, just to stick with her. Um, so obviously it was extremely frustrating and you don't go to college soccer, like you don't play college soccer to sit on the bench. And if you're content with sitting on the bench, then you probably shouldn't be there. Because at the end of the day, like you want people who want to compete and who want to play. And so that wasn't like ideal for me. Um, and I think that was a big mental struggle too, is like, you're used to being like in high school, you play in club, you play, like, then you're just used to not playing and and being a goalkeeper is especially difficult in that aspect because one's going to play and they're probably not going to come off. It's not like a field player where you can come on for 10 minutes, a half or something like that. Um, so that was definitely very difficult for me. Um, but at the end of the day, you can only control what you control and I didn't control my own playing time. So. So let me ask you this. Do you think a sports psychologist would come in handy for players that are in college because they want to play soccer, but they're not getting the playing time and they're on the bench and they get to see the other 
you know, scholar athletes playing and you're just like, for sure. Cause I think like my junior year in the spring was really, really hard for me because I was just super frustrated. Like I just came off a season where I played like literally like 45 minutes. Like I came on like twice just at the end of games. And like, I just like myself, like I work really, really hard and like, I did everything I could to put myself in a position to be able to play. Like I worked after practice. I worked on my touch. I worked on, I would get girls with me. Like, let's go do shooting. Like I, like when I look back at my career, like I don't think there's anything more I could have done. Like, I think I did, did a lot of things I could have done. And in the spring, I was just like not in a good place with soccer. Like I wasn't happy coming to practice. Like I was, and it was kind of starting to blend into like the rest of my life. Like I just felt like I was just not in a good place because I was just like so frustrated and discouraged and that definitely would have helped me a lot to be able to have that resource. So your fourth year, which is now your third playing year, mm-hmm. what are you doing? So I think before that season started, I kind of, well, so that my junior spring, actually, I remember one day after training, I called my mom and I was just like, I can't do this. Like I have to quit. Like I can't do this. Like there's, I know I'm not going to play in the fall. Like no matter what I do, I know I'm not going to play. Like I really don't know if I can continue just coming to practice every day and just working my butt off for no result. And my parents were like, look, if, if that's what you want to do, then, then you can do it. Like we support you. And then I kind of thought about it for a little bit. And I was like, you know, I've worked too hard to not play my last season. Like, it's just one more season. I can get through it. Like there's positives to it. And I think I, I kind of had to just think like, I can only control what I can control. And that's just myself and my attitude and like my mindset. And like, I kind of had to just sink in and be like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to play. Like, that's the reality. I'm not going to play. So I just kind of went into that, that fall with like, I'm just going to be the best teammate I can. And I'm going to push everyone around me and do everything I can even if I can't be on the field, like I'm going to do everything I can. Like I definitely was a leader, like off the field. Like I, I did like what I could do. And then I kind of was thinking to myself, like I could use my fifth year. I could go play somewhere else. And so I think I, I, I knew before the season started that I wanted to do a grad transfer and I wanted to play my last season somewhere because I worked too hard for too long to not see the field. So that was, that was my mindset. So that fourth year at UCSD, you didn't play, uh, USD, you didn't play much. You played, no. you know, a few minutes here and there. Yeah. So the fifth year, you're looking around. Tell me the process of of, of finding the college that's going to fit you, not only emotionally, educationally, yeah, but also soccer wise, because you know there's a lot of choice, but at the same time, you know, you want to make sure that wherever you go, you're what. Numero uno. Yep. So I I went on the transfer portal and this was like right when the transfer portal started was like when I went on. It was the Can you first explain time. what the transfer portal is? Yeah. So basically if you want to transfer, you go, you tell your head coach, then you go to compliance and they put your name on a list online and only college coaches can see it. And it just basically tells them that you want to transfer and it just has your name. Um and your school and then the coaches have to look you up and stuff like now that I'm on the other side of it I, I know more about it than when I was on it but um it just like you're just telling the NCAA that you want to transfer and then anyone has access to it that wants 
to get a transfer. And so I went on the portal um, and I kind of had like an open mind about it. I got a lot of emails from like a lot of random schools that I maybe wasn't interested in or hadn't heard of. Um, and then I got an email from Utah Valley, which is the head coach, Chris LeMay. He coached in San Diego for a while. So he knows, he knew my goalkeeper coach at USD. And so then he contacted me and basically their starting goalkeeper had just left. And so they had an open spot. They had two freshmen coming in and a girl returning who was a sophomore who didn't play the previous season. So they were looking for maybe someone who could step into the role right away. A like some grizzled veteran, huh? Yes. An <laughs> older player maybe who could come into the role right away and like bring some leadership. And so I, I have a business undergrad, so I knew I wanted to do a master's in business and they had a master's and UVU gave me a really good like financial offer. And so, and he was like, you know what, the spot is yours to lose if you come here. And so I had never been, I've been to Utah to play BYU with USD, but I had never like been to Utah actually and like lived there or done anything like that. But I just was like, I, I'm doing this because I want to play and I don't really care where it is. I just want to play. So I went to Utah Valley and did that. And how was the experience of playing there? That's a D1 school, correct? Yes. Yeah. They're in the Western Athletic Conference. They're D1. Um, it was honestly so amazing. Like I, it kind of like renewed my love for soccer because I kind of, when I was at USD, I was in a place where I was just over it and I hated the game. Um, and then I went to U UVU and like everything kind of changed. And Chris is a really good coach and a really good person. And he helped me a lot, like just become a better player and a better goalkeeper. And the assistants there were super helpful too. The team was great. Like it was everything I kind of wanted. And so then like, yeah, I started, played like every game, had a good season. We made it to the the WAC final. We lost in overtime to Seattle, but but it was a good year and it was a good way to finish things off. So now you've you've played your your final year. Mm -hmm. You've earned a master's degree in business. Mm -hmm. What's next? I know it's it's funny. So then I I became a the grad assistant in the spring. Um, basically, like. So I could stay involved with the team and, and still get my scholarship and um, continue working on my master's. And so then I was the grad assistant. So I was doing the goalkeepers. And then I also was doing some goalkeeping stuff, like club stuff up there in Utah. Um, and so that was kind of fun. I hadn't really done that much coaching before. And so I was doing like younger kids, middle schoolers, high school kids, and then also coaching the, the other goalkeepers at UVU. So the keepers, the keepers I had just played with, I was I was now coaching them, uh, which was fun because I felt like too as a senior and they were younger, like I did everything I could to help them, um, and I was very respectful and humble because I was just in a position where I wasn't playing and like I I just like me personally when girls on my team are super cocky and arrogant, like it just rubs me the wrong way, and I knew that that's not what I wanted to do and when I was in a position where I was playing, like I wasn't going to be that person. And so they definitely respected me and like we had good relationships. And so then when I stepped into the coaching role, it almost was kind of a natural fit. Like they, the respect was already there. And so now, now you're the coach and obviously you're, you're so emotionally involved still with the team, mm -hmm. but from a different angle. Mm -hmm. And now as a coach, 
yes, you can be emotional, but you kind of have to keep those emotions inside, right? And and and, yeah. and have, have the poker face because you're working with these goalkeepers and all of a sudden, and I, and I, I, I experienced this myself this year, you know, they make a horrendous mistake <laughs> and the head coach doesn't look at the goalkeeper. He looks at you. Well, he coached. Yeah, I know. Um, so I was like, unfortunately, that game, that season was cut short because of COVID. Like that was right when COVID hit. So I only got to be with them for like two months. So we didn't, we were going to play our first spring game against UNLV and we were supposed to leave that Friday and like Thursday night, everything was going down and the school was like, you guys can't go to Vegas. Like there's way too much going on. You guys can't go. So then we didn't go to Vegas. Um, and then like literally that Friday they sent everyone home and we're like, yeah, we're done for who knows when. And then everything happened. Um, so I didn't get to see, I didn't get to be there when they played. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely different because I just had played with them and now I was coaching, but as a grad assistant, like, especially if you're a former player, like your coaching role isn't as heavy as like a full-time assistant or the head coach. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't like that difficult to manage. So from Utah Valley, next step. Yeah. So then um, like some coaching jobs were opening up and I kind of was just thinking about it. Oh, one open at UC Santa Barbara. And so I was like, that'd be cool to go to Santa Barbara and to coach. And so then I, my old assistant coach at University of San Diego, his name's Edgar. I messaged him and I was like, hey, can I put you on my resume as a reference? He's like, oh yeah, for sure. And then the next day, uh, New Mexico State called him and asked if he knew anyone looking to be a goalkeeper coach. And he referred me. And so then the New Mexico State coach called me and then he flew up to Utah to meet me. And so I just was like, you know what? I just moved to Utah and it turned out to be good. So I'll just move to New Mexico and see what happens. And like the, the fact that the coach came to meet me, like meant like, obviously he wants me there. So I want to be somewhere that I'm wanted. And so I ended up going to New Mexico State and coaching there. And how was that experience? I mean, you, you've, you've gone from probably one of the coldest places in the country to one of the hottest places in the country. Yeah. Well, it's funny. New Mexico State's in a high desert. So the winters are cold, but the summers, yeah, they're pretty hot, but not quite as hot as like Phoenix, but they're still, they're still pretty warm. Um, but it was a good experience for sure. Um, I think being so young and just be just being a player, like that was a hard adjustment. Okay, so I'm now not a player, I'm a coach, and like my approach has to be different. Um, so I think that was that was a hard adjustment for me because I'm just like a super big personality. And when I was a player, like I was the teammate that talked to everyone and like tried to get everyone involved and I was a leader and all that. So then it was like, okay, how can I be a leader as a coach? Um, and so I think everything too with COVID was different. Like our fall, we were able to train and then our spring we played our season. And then that summer I ended up switching to UC Riverside, but I, I was at New Mexico state for a year, but it was a really good experience and it was good to kind of get my foot in the door and kind of experience coaching and what, what it was like and seeing if, okay, is this what I really want to do? And I did really enjoy it. And I, I really enjoyed the part of like, getting like to get to know the players and like, I love to play too. Like I, I love to play. So any chance they were like, Hey, can we go work on this? Like, I was like, I'm there. So I would work on a lot of stuff with the players too. And like that, 
I really like that because then it's a good way to get to know them like on a personal level, but then you're also helping them like become a better soccer player. Yeah, for sure. So how did the uh, Riverside position come around? It just kind of opened up like end of July and Edgar, the, my uh, former coach had told me about it and I like, I loved New Mexico, but I'm from, I'm from Orange County and I missed home. Like I was in Utah for a year and then I was in New Mexico for a year. And that's where my, my whole life is like at home or in Southern California. Like that's where all my friends are, my family. And so the position opened and I was like, I'm just going to apply for it. I'll see what happens. Like this would be perfect for me to be able to do the job I want, like in the location I want. And then Um, I got an interview and then I interviewed and literally like it was such a quick process because it was the end of July and season was about to start that they needed someone as quickly as possible. And so then I got the interview and then two days later I was offered the position. Unbelievable. So now here we are, you and I in the big West. (laughs) I know. Season in the big West. Um, you know, full disclaimer, uh, Ali and I, we got to coach against each other. I think, I believe it was the first Big West game of the season. It was a thriller, one in the last few minutes by uh, the Gauchos. <laughs> so talk, talk to me about the Big West and, and, and your thoughts on, on the standard of soccer there and, and how, how coaching at Riverside has, has, has developed you. Yeah, I think the Big West is a very, very competitive conference. Like every game is a battle. And I think that's what's a little different than the WAC because there's a few games in the WAC that maybe like you're expected to win. And if you don't win them, like shame on you, but like, they're not as competitive if that makes sense. Um, Like when I was in the WAC, um, we played Chicago state and we beat them 10 to zero. Oh wow! Like that's not a competitive game. And then when New Mexico, when I was with New Mexico state, Chicago state was still in the WAC and we still beat them like pretty bad. Now, uh, Chicago State, like, they split the whack up and they're on the other side, like, a different division. But, like, that's not a that's not a very competitive game. And so, like, the everything with the Big West is, like, every game is a battle. Like, even if it's, like, a, a topper, like, a better team, like, a top-tier team, like, it's not it's not a shoe-in. Like, everything, like, there's, there's definitely upsets. And it was a grind to see who made the Final Four for the big West tournament, like long beach state was like literally like a point away from making it. Like it's a grind to get to the, to the big West tournament. You better believe it. We beat them two one with the last kick of the game to get into the tournament and knock them out. Yeah. Yeah. It was was really, really exciting. Um, so what, what's, tell us about being, so you're now the assistant coach. You're no longer, well, you're you're still working the keepers, but now you're an assistant coach. So what does that role look like and what does it entail? Yeah. So when I was at New Mexico state, I, I also, I was an assistant coach slash goalkeeper coach, but um, I feel like at UCR um, I'm definitely more like diversified, if that makes sense. Like I, I am in charge of the goalkeepers. And so when we start practice, like I take the goalkeepers for however long we work for until the team comes together and we use them. Um, but I think like the behind the scenes stuff, like, talking tactics or lineups or watching game film, scouting, like me and Keyshawn, our other assistant and Nat, we kind of just talk for a long time. And it's honestly really cool because Nat is very knowledgeable and so is Keyshawn. And like a lot of times I just get to hear them go back and forth and I'm just kind of soaking in everything that they say. And 
I feel like I've learned so much just in the six, four or five months I've been here. And just from hearing them go back and forth. And then what's cool is like, they also respect my opinion. And so like when I chime in, even though I'm a younger coach and I don't have a whole lot of experience, like they value what I have to say. And then we kind of go back and forth, like with decision-making. And then obviously at the end of the day, like the head coach makes the final decision, but, um, I just feel like my knowledge of the game has just like increased so much in the short time. What do you, what do you love about soccer? I don't know. Like <laughs> it's hard. I mean, I've played it my whole life. Um, and it's crazy. Cause yeah, there was a time where I didn't love soccer, but I just, it's just so fun. Honestly, it's like, and I just like, there's always something new you can learn and things you can try and different tactics you can do. And and I just love playing too. Like when I get to jump into a training session, like I, I told Keyshawn, I think it was when we played Santa Barbara, when we played you guys, the next day we trained um, at Santa Barbara and I got to jump in. And when I jump in, like, I don't like 5% of the time I'll play in goal. Like the other time I'll play on the field and I was playing center back. And after practice, I said to Keyshawn, I was like, it's literally the highlight of my day when I get to play. And Keyshawn was making fun of me. He goes, then your day must really suck. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, I just love to play. Like, it's just so fun. Like, I just feel like it's just, it's so fun. Like, I enjoy coming to work every day. So what does the future look like for Ali? That's a great question. Um, I definitely, I like what I'm doing right now. I I really like being at UCR and I want to be here, like, as long as I can. Um, and I think the team, like, we're just going to keep getting better and better. And, and this was Keyshawn's first fall, too. He was there from like 2007 to 2015, I think he was there for a long time before. Um, and so like him being there and then with Nat too, like we just have a really strong like staff environment and it's really fun. And I think the girls see that and the culture is, is definitely like just on the rise and like, I want to be there and I want to be a part of like helping this program reach new heights and get in the big West tournament and win the big West. And I think, we all share that common goal. And so it's just really exciting. And so I see myself definitely still doing this for a while. And then it's funny. People are like, do you want to be a head coach? And sometimes I'm like, I do. And other times I'm like, I'm not sure. But I think like, as I continue to learn more and kind of soak up all this information, like that could be a very realistic goal for me. Um, I just think, I think I have a lot to learn still, but I'm not, I think, I think I could do, if I'm ready for something, then I could do it, if that makes sense. Last question before I let you go. Mm -hmm. There is a lack of women coaches. Yeah. Why? And what would be your advice for women who want to get into coaching? So really a two-part question. Yeah, I know. It is so interesting to see that because I feel like even when I go recruiting and I look at like the club coaches on the sideline, like it's very rare that I see a female coach or like sometimes like the clubs, like there'll be like four or five of them on the bench. And like very rarely do I see a female coach. And even growing up, my first female coach wasn't until I got to USD, like the the head coach that got there uh, after the first one was fired. She's female. And so that was my first female like head coach type of role. Like the assistant at USD before she, she's a female too. And she's awesome. She was a professional former pro, but um, I don't know. Like it's, I just think, I don't know. I don't know, honestly, but I think 
I don't know if it's just like a lack of opportunity because I don't know if you've seen like the stuff that's been going on in the NWSL. Um, there's been a lot of coaches, well, not a lot. There's been a few coaches that have stepped down because of allegations of like just verbal abuse and stuff like that. And it's really interesting to me that they're all coming from male coaches. Um, and it's, and the, the coach for, I think it was the rain. She won like coach of the year. She's a female. She's been around for a long time. Like we just definitely, the game needs more coaches like her. And, and I don't know if it's just kind of like how it is. And eventually like generationally it'll get better. Cause there's more coaches like me who are stepping into roles. Like when I go recruiting now, I see a lot more female college coaches on the sideline for sure. And a lot of young ones. And I think, I think a lot of it too is like a lot of these girls like before didn't see a future in soccer. Like there wasn't really the opportunity to go play pro and do all these things. And I think a lot of girls now they go play pro and then they play till their, their late twenties. And then they want to use the knowledge that they just gained to then become a coach. So I think the pipeline is, is definitely getting better um, because there's more opportunities for women. And I think that's going to continue to increase, but I think, I think it's maybe just a lack of opportunity um, stuff like that. But I think our game needs it because I think we need a lot more strong female role models and people to look up to and people who can understand you on a personal level. Um, it was interesting. Like I read the article about the coach from the Chicago red stars that just stepped down. And one of the quotes said that like he brought up, like one of the girls on the team wasn't communicating well. And he said to her like, Oh, if you're not communicating well, like, how are you going to be a good mother? Like, cause she had a kid, I guess. Like, how do you communicate with your daughter? And then, and I, and the follow-up was like, one of the players said, would you say that to a male player? It's like, do you think anyone says to Ronaldo, like your communication's poor? Like, does that mean you're a bad father? Like, no, like, it's just sad that there's that type of sexism and coaching style that still exists, especially at the highest level of the game. And I think, like as those stuff, as that stuff starts getting more exposed and those people get out, then hopefully better people step in and the standard gets better, but it's like a lack of accountability. Like they had been reported to us soccer and like Kristen press reported them and they just were like, no, Kristen, keep doing your own thing, but this doesn't matter. Like hopefully that starts to starts to change. I couldn't agree more, Ellie. It really does uh, a, a complete mind shift from uh, male coaches to players and to their colleagues needs to happen and it, and it can't happen quick enough in my books. Um, if there are any uh, young ladies out there who are interested in coaching, how do they get hold of you to, uh, to get some information from you? Yeah. So um, just look up UC Riverside women's soccer. And if you look at the roster, I'll be on there and it has my email and then just shoot me an email and yeah, go from there. Excellent. Alihara, assistant coach, for UC Riverside. Thank you so much for joining the Bear and the Ball. Folks, you heard how to get hold of her. You can also get hold of me at Nick Webster on Twitter. And don't forget to follow us at CalSouth.com. You can also find us on Instagram, CalSouthSoccer, Twitter, CalSouthSoccer, and of course, we are on Facebook. The Bear and the Ball will be back next week. Thanks again to Alihara. We will see you real soon.